Welcome to C3 Belconnen. Here's the latest message from our senior pastor, Nick Hind. Hey, wow, some incredible skills there from a couple of our dads. There's nothing like a dry wheat bix to, uh, you know, uh, issue you a challenge. So mad skills there, guys. And uh, dads, we honor you and we salute you. You have a unique skill set. We celebrate with you the things uh, that are just a, you know, a joy as a father, that ability to pack the car boot full of what seems like an impossible amount of gear on, uh, you know, maybe just a trip down uh, to the local park or, or maybe an interstate journey. The, uh, the, the joy that I know you secretly get watching your children annihilate someone else's in a game of, you know, non-competitive uh, sport on the weekends, right? And, uh, and dads, we just celebrate and admire your ability to, you know, watch TV in, in your undies with no sense of shame whatsoever. It's some amazing and unique skills uh, that go into being a dad. And uh, I just want to encourage you dads as well, you know, as you, as you uh, lead in your home, as you lead in families, as you sow your lives into others, we want to thank you and honor you. Uh, let's, keep, let's keep words of encouragement high in our homes. Let's be mindful uh, of what comes out of our mouths and how that shapes. Let's be quick to say sorry. Uh, okay to say, I love you. Let's be, be dads who will be willing to pray who are willing to admit when we're wrong, who can you know, be, be a, a help and an assistance uh, and not just lord it over others. Let's kind of continually looking uh, to, to grow in what we, we know it means to be fathers. And don't hide from the tough conversations. You know, uh, let, let, let your families hear you wrestle with stuff. Let your families hear you uh, apologize and pray together and, and seek God. I think one of the most powerful things that we can ever do is to, is to let our children and, and our homes hear our prayers uh, as dads. So uh, Melissa mentioned earlier that we know for some people this is a tough day as well. And so we just want to let you know we're thinking of you. We're praying for you if there's some pain or disappointment or hurt uh, associated with a, with a day like this. And of course, we are praying that you would really know the love of a heavenly father uh, on a day like today. And as we, as we unpack um, and begin this series on unsung heroes, I want to take you to two stories. Uh, one we'll spend most of our time in. Um, but two stories about fathers uh, from the Bible. Both of these fathers, one unnamed uh, and an unsung hero, and another one named and perhaps familiar to you, but you may not have picked up uh, some of the extras uh, of his story. And I want to start us out in Luke chapter 15 with a story that's probably quite well known. It's one of the most famous stories from the Bible. In fact, people sort of reference the ideas uh, from it uh, in, in culture to this very day. And it's often called the story of the prodigal son. Uh, depending on, uh, on what you read and understand about this, it's probably more rightly known as a story uh, about two sons. Often we just focus on, on what the one did and we see it as a story of a son running away and, and living the wrong way and then coming back. Uh, but as we, as we unpack it in a few moments time, we'll see that it's really two parallel stories of two sons. But ultimately, I want to tell you today that this is a story and that the hero of this story is the father. Ultimately, this story is all about the father. And as uh, so my wife reminded me, she's heard me talk about this so many times. And some of this might be familiar to you, but I want to encourage you to just sit back and, uh, and really immerse yourself in the story. And let's together 
really make, go on a journey, I guess, and make an effort to see ourselves in the story and to understand what this shows us about our Heavenly Father. There are, I guess, many ways that we can see this story. We can see the, the, uh, you know, the foolishness and the uh, extravagance, almost the debauchery of the younger son who squanders his father's wealth. We can look to the issues that the second son has as he you know, comes across as a bit self-righteous and uptight. Uh, I hope we can see ourselves in the story as well and ultimately to see the heart of God expressed to us in this. And the interesting thing about this story is that in a lot of ways it begins and it ends with the same idea. The idea of the extravagance, the generosity of a father. At the very beginning of the story, we actually see the father's generosity towards his younger son who asks for his inheritance early and his father graciously gives it to him. That was a huge deal because ultimately what that, that son was saying was, Father, I no longer care about you. All I'm interested in is what's coming to me in your possessions. And the original hearers would have heard that as that son essentially saying to the father, I'm done with you. I wish you were dead. I want what is mine. And, and the father out of, I don't know, is it, is it weakness? Is it, is it foolishness? What, what? It's, it's a challenging thought, isn't it? He graciously offers it to this son. But the very end of the story as well, in fact, for, for, uh, in some ways, the story feels like it's missing a part. It finishes almost on a, on, a, on a cliffhanger with the conversation between the father and the, and the eldest son. And the father actually showing grace and generosity towards the eldest son who has just finished up criticizing his son, criticizing the father as well. And the father again is gracious in his response to this son. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the original hearers of this story would have been waiting for the next act. They would have been waiting for things to be set right because this elder son as well had upset and offended the father. And, but it ends with the gracious love and acceptance of this father. So it begins and it ends in the same point. And under the cover of this incredible gracious love of this father, we see the story of these two sons play out. So let's lift the words off the page for a moment and immerse ourselves in the story. Let's get all 3D with this one and let's see how we identify with the journey a little bit. We said it's the story of two sons, the, the younger one who has started out uh, with this, almost this declaration of, I'm done with you, Father. And we, if you're familiar with the story, uh, what happens is he, he takes all that is, uh, is coming to him early and he runs off to a foreign land. He not only leaves the family, but he leaves his community and he leaves his nation and he goes off to live in a foreign place. Again, for the original hearers, their sense of community and, and nationality was so significant. So it's quite offensive what this younger son is doing. He's telling things on his own terms. He's disappearing off into a foreign land. And ultimately, we read there that he squanders everything that his father has in, given him in reckless living. And he's ultimately got nothing to show for it. Things go from bad to worse for this young man. And instead of just enjoying the fruits of this other land, he is now sort of joined to it as he has to go and try and find work uh, with a native of that land and ultimately he becomes a, a servant and a hired hand to this person and as starvation and famine grips the land he is reduced to tending to the pigs and even eating of their food. Now this was unthinkable for a Jewish person who would have been hearing this story because these animals were considered unclean and so this man has really hit the lowest of the low. We do see this turnaround 
moment, though, as he's disgraced himself and dishonored his family. He, he, to a degree, comes to his senses and figures, well, hey, maybe I can just earn my way back in. And he hatches this plan as he journeys back towards his father and towards his home. He, he patches this, you know, this plan to say, Father, could I, could I just be like one of your servants? That, that would at least be better than where I am if I could just be a, a slave to you. I've squandered and I've used up all of your goodness, so I'll just live out of obligation towards you. If we pick up the story a few verses later of the oldest son in, in a surprising way, and it's not easy to see at first, but he has actually been just as offensive to the father. After the father has welcomed his lost son home, he throws a party. That party would have involved the whole village. It would have been quite a communal affair. And the older son actually, culturally, would have had a role to play in co-hosting this party. But we read that he stays outside and he's objecting uh, to this and he is criticizing the father's generosity. And so he's, in this very moment, dishonoring the father uh, in a similar way. It might look different and we might miss it initially, but this is incredibly culturally insensitive of this son. He's dishonoring his father in front of the whole uh, village. And it's twice that the father, uh, you know, it's a, father ends up going out to him and having a conversation with him. And in this conversation, the, the, the son goes even further and insults the father to his face. He's rude and demanding and shows himself ultimately to be just as self-interested as the younger son who has squandered all his belongings. And I don't know if you've you know, naturally said, hey, I'm the, the first, the eldest there. I'm the rule keeper. I'm the one who tries to do everything right. Or maybe you kind of identified with the wild child and you're off on that journey and you say, well, that sounds a, a bit more like me. I want to encourage you just for a moment to, to find yourself in the story there because these what look like two different journeys of these two sons actually are in parallel. And remember, they sit under the covering of the real hero of this story, the father, who is the one that we are called to look to ultimately. This story is not to highlight the, the journey of either son, but ultimately to show us and to give context for the extravagant love of this father. Both of these sons had treated the father poorly. They were both only interested in what was in it for them. And ultimately, the thing that, that stands out the most here is both had taken on the mindset of a slave. I want to show you that in the, in the scriptures here. What happens is uh, the eldest, uh, the youngest son, sorry, he goes on this incredible journey. And if we pick it up in, in Luke chapter 15, what we discover is as he's coming back to his father, he's got this little speech prepared and he says, I'm no longer to be worthy of, worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man, as a slave, as a servant. He thinks that's the only way I can relate to, the only way I can approach my father now. But look a little further down, the son who had stayed, the eldest son, the, the quote-unquote good son at the time. Listen to this crazy thought. He says to his father, he says, All these years I've worked for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do, and yet you've never celebrated me. In fact, other translations say the son actually says to his father, All these years I have slaved for you. As close as this son was to the father, he was still missing the picture. Both sons somehow had got entirely the wrong mindset and had taken on this attitude of a slave instead of a son. This elder son too was saying, I have slaved for you. He had seen his father also, not as, as, as a loving and gracious father, but just as someone who could give him what was coming to him. They were only interested in what was coming to them. 
It's so easy to want to get mad at the sons here, but that's the genius of the story because, because it brings us into the picture. Because all of us have lived one way or the other like these two sons. It puts us right in the middle and we, we are then uh, able not just to sort of feel all downtrodden ourselves, but in realizing that, that we've taken these positions ourselves, we actually uh, see highlighted and, and raised to an even greater level the extravagant love and grace of this father. Let's look at what this father does. What can we learn about our heavenly father from this passage? First of all, we see a generous God who gives freely of all he has. At the very start and the end of this scripture, the father reminds and exclaims to both of his sons, what I have is yours. We understand this is actually the way that our heavenly father treats us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Jesus, God has given us every spiritual blessing, everything, not just a portion of it, but He has extravagantly laid out for us every spiritual blessing, not held anything back from us. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, we get a similar thought, and it tells us that by His divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We received all of this as we've come to know Him, the one who calls us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. God has poured Himself out and He has not held anything back from us. He has invited us into the fullness of relationship with Him. He's given us everything in His Son, Jesus. We see in the father's response uh, to both of his sons and particularly to his, his youngest son as he leaves his village, he is on the watch out for this son. It says as the son is journeying back to the father, taking that long road home, practicing that speech in his mind, the father sees him from a way off and he comes running out to him. This is a patient and passionate father, a patient and a passionate God that we have who is always on the lookout for the lost to come home and at the inkling of a turning towards him is launching himself passionately into our lives. This is a God who passionately pursues the lost, those who his heart breaks for, people like you and I who were once far off from him or maybe right now you are far from God. I want you to know that he's passionately waiting for you. He's pursuing you. He wants you to come into relationship with him. We see a loving and compassionate God, a father here who runs through the village, gets to his son, cuts his son off in the middle of that speech as he says, I'm no longer worthy to be considered your son. Let me be as your servant. And the father throws his arms around him. It says that, that he kisses him. This son is still covered in the filth of those pigs. This, this father has made himself unclean by this very act. And it is a very public, demonstrative compassionate, loving and gracious act of a God, of a father who embraces the broken and the filthy right where they are at, not waiting for them to get right, but, but meeting them right where they are at. And ultimately we see a, a gracious father, a gracious God who restores relationship, who brings us into right relationship with him. We see this father says, put a coat on my son. It says, he says, bring a ring and put it on his finger. This is bring some sandals for his feet. Now, these things might seem uh, like external trappings, but they were so significant in the culture of that day. That robe 
covered the son's filth and his shame as he walked back through the village. You see, the father had gone a long way out. This son would have walked back through that village feeling the accusing eyes and sensing the, the shame of those who were around him. And yet the father has covered him in special clothing, which signifies him as one who should be honored. And he has walked back through the village, not in his own strength, but under the covering of the father. He had this ring on his finger signifies full restoration it is a ring which signifies authority and the son's ability to transact on the father's behalf it is a it symbolizes trust it symbolizes authority it symbolizes full restoration and these shoes that that are put on his feet you see only slaves or servants went barefoot in those days these shoes are a declaration that you've been restored to full sonship full position full rights You know what, ultimately, the Father's actions here are a picture to us of Jesus. This Father had gone out from His home, out from His place of authority. He'd gone out to meet the Son where He was at. In John chapter 1, it tells us that God showed up and He moved into the neighborhood as the Word became flesh. As Jesus came and walked this earth, He went out from His place of honor. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that He descended. He, he, he was humiliated as He came to live on this earth. And He, and he came to, to walk as a servant. This is Christ's humiliation. He came a long distance out and met us right where we are at. And as Jesus came this distance out, God didn't send a, a slave or a servant. He didn't send uh, you know, someone hired to make all the difference for us. He came Himself. He came Himself as He sent His Son Jesus to us. He didn't send a servant. Jesus walked this earth and He clothed us in that cloak of His righteousness. That He put that ring on our fingers and makes us co-heirs with Himself. That, and He adopts us into His family as full sons and daughters of the Most High God. Not kept at a distance, not slaves, but fully restored as sons and daughters. You see, the real shock of this story is the extravagance and outrageous, unconditional love of the Father. And maybe, maybe our issue is that we're thinking we can be good enough to earn uh, God's goodness. Or maybe it's that we think we have to work hard enough to deserve it. Both of those are wrong positions to take. Maybe we've fallen into the trap of thinking that we can earn God's grace or the trap of thinking that we don't need it. Maybe, maybe we've sort of rejected or held Jesus at a, at a distance. Or maybe we've said, thanks, but I'm doing okay on my own. I don't need your help. Sometimes we feel like we owe God too much, like that younger son. And, and other times we can forget and feel like God owes us something like the older son's response to his father. But the, the ultimate reality is that wherever we fit into, wherever we see ourselves in this story, we're desperately in need of the loving grace shown by that father. I don't know, maybe this is the first time you've heard about that extravagant love or really understood that picture of a father. We so often confuse the the, the earthly experience of a father with what our heavenly father is like. But I'm hoping today, whether this is a new thought for you for the very first time, or maybe this is a reminder to you of the extravagant love of your heavenly father. I'm hoping you can take uh, a few moments as we worship soon and get ready to finish up to just allow that to sink in, that you are so dearly loved by a father who has made a way for you to come into relationship with him. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something owed to you. It is something that can only be bestowed 
That's the power of this story. This, the father is the hero of this story. Both sons in different ways are trying to earn or, or seeing something as owed to them. But what they really receive from the father is what is bestowed upon them. And we learn from this story that ultimately nothing can keep them out of the love of that father if they can truly receive it. In a few moments time, we're going to worship and Melissa will close out the service and give you a chance to respond to that love. And as we get ready to do that, um, I actually just want to finish up and encourage the dads here today. I just want to speak to you again for a moment here, dads, and just with a, a really brief story of another father with two sons in the Bible. Uh, and, you know, I want to say, dads, sometimes we can feel like we're not quite making the grade. Sometimes it can feel like our best efforts are just not quite enough or we're okay one day and we're failing and falling a bit short the next. And that is the journey that we are all on. We're all imperfect. We're all stumbling along. Hopefully we're all graciously leaning on the strength of the Holy Spirit and, and really trusting in Him to, to grow us and to help us in every role that we play, especially as fathers. But I want to take you quickly to Mark uh, chapter 15 and verse 21. And we read of a guy called Simon, a man called Simon of Cyrene. And you might now be twigging to this story. This was the guy who was asked to carry the cross for Jesus as he, uh, as he went to his crucifixion. And in verse 21 of Mark 15, it says, A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. As a, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And this is mentioned by both Matthew and Luke as well, Simon of Cyrene carrying Jesus' cross. And that's about all we hear about it, except that Mark adds this one little detail in brackets there. It says, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Simon was the father of two sons. Now, it's unusual for Mark, who wrote the shortest gospel and really was always interested in the action, it's kind of unusual for him to single out these two people and to actually name them specifically. Now, what theologians understand is the reason he would have done that is because these would have, people would have probably been familiar to the original readers of his gospel. They would have known Rufus and Alexander, Simon of Cyrene's sons. They would have, this was written, remember, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, so a little way down the track. And so what we're led to believe is that, is that Rufus and Alexander had become followers of Jesus. And if we, if we actually jump through into Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, Paul is writing this long list of greetings to his faithful co-workers and, and uh, co-servants of Christ. And in verse 13 of, of Romans 16, it says, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a, like a mother to me as well. And, and there's a few, uh, few reasons for us to fairly confidently assume that this Rufus is the same one mentioned in Mark's gospel here. And what a powerful thought. That father, Simon, who had that, that encounter with Jesus that clearly impacted him and transformed his life. What an impact it had on his family to the point where his son Rufus is a follower of Jesus Christ and singled out in this letter as someone who has been a benefit and a blessing to the cause of Christ. What a powerful reminder, fathers, that, that, that even in these simple moments, we have this legacy of faith to hand on. You can be a, one of those unsung heroes of the kingdom, one of those unsung heroes of the faith you are as you walk out that example in the small moments as well as the big. 
as you show that example to your, to your family and those around you of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Dads, we're praying for you. We're so proud of you today. Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, just visit www.cpubelconnor.org.au.